So Hussein, welcome yeah. to the show. Yeah, thank um, you. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, I've been listening to quite a few of your podcasts and videos over the <laughs> last few weeks as uh, sort of research and um, some very interesting uh, thoughts that you've had that I'm looking forward to sharing with our audience as well. But um, before we jump in, do you want to just tell us about Hoxton Ventures? I mean, what is Hoxton and what do you do? So it's, it's not in Hoxton, for starters. <laughs> uh, it's an early stage venture capital firm that invests in fledgling tech businesses uh, as early as sheet of paper, sometimes a little bit later than that. Uh, it invests kind of the first one to five million pick your currency because they're all mostly equivalent these days, dollar, sterling, euro, uh, into companies largely on this side of the pond, so UK, yeah. Europe, um, that have aspirations to be global businesses. Um, and we like to be you know, one of the early shareholders in these kinds of businesses or minority investors. Uh, and if we're lucky and things kind of go the right way, they turn out to be bigger businesses. Uh, some of ours have become, um, and then we capture the upside uh, in this very sure compliant way, right? Because it is, it's like full risk, right? You know, yeah, you yeah, that's the upside true. And the downside. That's very true. Uh, we're probably the closest thing uh, in the financial <laughs> services industry to like what you're supposed to be doing, with one or two like minor exceptions. Uh, yeah, we use yeah. preference shares, which are yeah. usually frowned upon. Yeah, that be that. That's actually something I've re been thinking about recently. Um, and I mean, this is very much a tangent, but yeah. I think it's quite useful. So um, for our audience, preferred return is where you would give a certain amount of money back. Uh, like, so let's say someone has committed 100 million and you'd give them back that 100 million. And then the 8% that they make on top of that 100 million, you would also give them that back first. No, so we don't. We use preference shares in a slightly different way. That's how preference shares usually work with right. private equity type firms. Yeah, they, they tend to they tend to add to a little bit of the return. Yeah, uh, we use it for two mechanisms. So we use it. One is a legal construct. We use it because as a minority investor, so we suppose we own twenty percent of a right. business. You have very little rights in the company as a 20%. Make it even a lower. Imagine you only own 10% of the business. So you've given all the money to a business because it's three kids with an idea. Right. So you've written them a $10 million check, <laughs> yeah. but you own 10 million. You own, only own 10% of the business, yeah. which means all kinds of stuff can happen without you having any say so, right. right? Because as a 10% holder in the company, you're, you're pretty passive. Right. And so one way of adding to your protections is to have preferred stock mm. and then maybe you need the majority consent of the preferred stock to do something like spend right. five million dollars on something right, um, right, right so right. you uh, you end up with these protections that you encapsulate in the preferred stock that mm. otherwise wouldn't be there as a minority investor so the you get you get added protection so that's the legal side of it there are people who use it to spike or enhance their return. We tend to use it again, not for that, but for defensive for reasons. Right. So protections is yeah. the first, and then defensive financial reasons is the other one. So imagine yeah. someone walks in the door, again, young group of guys or girls, and you write them a check, and you value the business at 10 million pounds, and you, you know, send them over 2 million pounds. You know, that 10 million pounds is a completely artificial construct, mm. but it's a real number once you've given them 2 million pounds and you've established a value of that business. Mm. If they decide tomorrow, the day after you've done that, that they're going to sell the business for 8 million pounds, mm. you're still going to get money back from that transaction. You own 20% of it. So you'll get back 1.6, mm. but you'll have lost 400K, whereas they would have walked away you know, with 80% of... 8 million so 6.4 goes into their pocket right, so they've see, gone yeah. from paper wealth of zero to pay you know to real wealth of 6.4 yeah and you've gone from real wealth of two to real wealth of 1.6 and lots of trouble with your lps probably 
Yeah, and so the defensive strategy around this stuff is you say, look, I will owe, and it's the same issue as Gharar, right? And there are constructs to be able to do this within Islamic law. So not Gharar, this is a Mudaraba. Uh, no, it's yeah. the same construct, right? Which is say, I will always get my money back. Yeah. Uh, and then above that, I will then share the upside with you. Hmm. We tend not to use it the same exact way. So we get our money back or we get to share. So we always get our principal back. So yeah. in, in Mudarba, you, normally you get your capital back and then you share the proceeds. In our yeah. case, the usual construct in venture is you get the you get either or. So either you choose to elect to get your money back. But you know if the business is selling for 100 as yeah. opposed to 8, right? It makes yeah. more sense to convert into common stock and keep yeah. the upside so you get to you get the you get the mm. better of. Yeah. So either you yeah. get your 2 million bucks or 2 million pounds back or you get 20% of the 100. Mm. You always elect to take the 20% of the 100. You could theoretically say I'll get my principal back yeah. and then I'll share the upside. No, it's in the venture community because this is such a defensive thing, hmm. we don't want to usually. You can you can generate the documents to be this way, but yeah. usually that's asking for more than what you'd want. So you just want to use it as a base layer, which is you know in a in a worst case scenario, if the company sells for less than what you valued it, yeah. your capital is protected. Interesting. Well, maybe we should. Uh... And that's largely because most of the stuff that you're doing is kind of imaginary numbers that you're putting down Agreed, and making yeah. real. Agreed. You know, Agreed. if you're looking at a piece of real estate or a car or, you know, some some asset backed company, you know, it would be different, right? There's an asset there that, that you know that has intrinsic value and, you know, two people walk into the room with an idea yeah. and you're saying, I'm gonna value that idea ten million. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's you're it's, in a sense the value creator there. Exactly. So this this kind of streamlines yeah. this always says I'll you know, my capital may be at risk if this business goes to zero and if it goes to zero I'll lose everything. But in the event that, you know, the, the value gets crystallized at less than what I value it at, yeah. I'll at least get my capital back. I won't yeah. make any money, but yeah. like they'll make some money, but you know, I will at least get my money back. Yeah, maybe we should write an article on it. Um, I think it'll be very interesting. Maybe yeah, Muhammad do... Muhammad Fadl, who's like a, a known authority on some of these kinds of things, because he's a professor in the University of Toronto. Him and I end up at these exchanges, right? And I, I see. To, I see how to make these you know if these contracts are actually compliant or not. But yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The, the spirit is largely very similar to yeah. what you would expect in, in Sharia compliance stuff. Interesting. Um, so. Hussein, you um, you've been running Hoxton since I think four four years. It's five years. Five old years. Now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and how would you say uh, you know what would you say has been the kind of the big milestones in that journey um, as you've grown? So if you if you rewind, so the business is five years old, but there was a portion of the business which is before the business is set up. You have to fundraise to right. get the business off the ground, and I would say you know milestone number one was just getting the business off the ground. Because just to be able to get there, I think at the time when we were saying we were going to do this, I mean, we come out of two bigger venture funds. So we were, you know, our funds were very well known. Yeah. We were not known. And we really thought that there was an opportunity in Europe to build kind of the Googles or the Facebook equivalents and mm. someone would make a lot of money writing the checks to these businesses. And so we were convinced that this was real. But if you were to build a slide deck and come up with examples of this, Back when it's we were hard. starting, yeah, you wouldn't be able to come up with any. And maybe you came up with a logo like every three years, right? And the, the one to think about was Skype. Yeah. You know, you try and mentally think about what are the other things like Skype. Remember, Spotify didn't exist at scale at that point. It existed as a business, but it was a tiny business, 
right? Ad yet, none gone public, Farfetch didn't exist really. I mean, again, it existed, but it wasn't a big business just mm. yet. Um, There's no Deliveroo, right? All the things that we kind of take for granted today didn't exist back then. So you'd struggle to articulate to people why yeah. you wanted to invest on this side of the world. When people thought tech, they thought America, um, they thought maybe China, they thought Israel, but they didn't think here London, in, in yeah. London, right? And the Silicon Roundabout was still a new name, new concept. The government was trying to promote something. Yeah. So we could see it because we were a little bit closer to the ground than other people, but you know, the market didn't see it. So just getting money hmm. to set up the business was tough. And the way venture works is we put some of our own money in, but largely it's endowments. Uh, and it's usually in the U.S., which is where the most of the money really comes from, is endowment capital. And it's usually, you know, the Kellogg's and the Rockefeller's and yeah. the Harvard's and the Yale's. And it's interesting because they have very long-term outlooks on life. Yeah. They're very patient about investing. And then the venture firms tend to want to give money back to those kinds of folks so they can do more good for society. Mm. So it becomes kind of a, a, a virtuous thing on both sides. Um but that community doesn't exist in the UK. Weirdly enough, like yeah. you know, the Church of England, which is a very large endowment and a very prominent institution, given that it's the church of the country, yeah. doesn't invest in venture. Really didn't invest in venture until a few years ago. And when the board of trustees said that they could do venture, they gave them permission to do US and China, but not England. <laughs> so when the home country oh, no. endowment, the other big endowment here in this country is the Wellcome Trust. Right, and okay. the Wellcome Trust was an early, early supporter of venture in, in, in the UK and largely got burned in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. And so has become a, a non-supporter, very, <laughs> very cautious investor, uh, still a very active investor yeah. in the US and in China and in India, but not, weirdly enough, in England. Um, and so, yeah, so it was pretty difficult to get the fund off the ground. So that was milestone one. And then milestone two is you kind of have to show your people that you're actually good at your job. You can do and something, you can do something with the money. And that, fortunately, has been largely easy for us. Uh, maybe it's because we're good, but probably more, more than that is we were in the right place at the right time. Hmm. What we explained to people was going to happen actually did happen. It probably right. happened faster and better than even we thought. Hmm. And so a lot of the right businesses came and knocked on our door. And we ended up writing a check to them. And so, you know, we're shareholders in a bunch of stuff that has turned out to do well. And so it's easy to... What are the highlights that people would have heard of? So I, I think the most the most, the most most visible in our portfolio is Deliveroo because that's mm. the one that you see all the time. Right. And as a consumer, that's the one that's the, you know, that's the one that you always come across. Uh, the most successful in our fund has been a cybersecurity business called Darktrace, which okay. you wouldn't have heard of unless you're someone in the industry. Yeah. Um, but it's a huge business in, 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 in its own right. Um, Babylon Health is now turning out to be a yeah, yeah. decent-sized company uh, and is growing pretty fast. Uh, I think we'll end up with, I mean, they call them, it's a really weird term, they call them unicorns in our industry, yeah. which is companies that are private companies that are worth over a billion. And we have three, two, and then soon to be three, because Babylon's nice. in the middle of closing a new round. So, and we only did 17 investments. So when Which you end up with very three, impressive. Yeah, yeah, so usually as a venture firm, mm. you try and get one in a fund. So if you do more mm. than one, you're doing well. And on the ones that we do well on, we return all of the capital in the fund on one investment. Wow. So the way a venture 
generally tends to work is you make a bunch of these investments. Usually about 20 maybe is maximum is 40. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did 17 because we had early success, so we stopped investing in new stuff and hmm. spent our money on the existing stuff. You tend to invest in these companies as they keep growing. So you yeah. write the first check, and then you, as they get bigger and bigger and they need more money, you keep participating at hmm. higher prices. You you don't make as much money on the second, third, fourth check, but you don't lose your money the same way right. as you would on your first check because yep. they're, they're businesses at that point. Hmm. About half your businesses will probably give you less than your money back, so you'll lose hmm. some amount of money, maybe all of it, but probably a little bit, you know, not you won't get all of it back. And then one will give you all of your money back at the fund level and then some portion of your of the remaining, you know, I don't know if you have 20 investments, it's one that returns 10 that go dud, and then some portion of the nine will give you fractions, you know, of some the of the rest. Yeah. And so hopefully you want to triple your investor's money over the life of 10 years or over the life of 12 years. Um, uh, but that, that won't happen if you just try and shoot for tripling your money on every investment right. because these businesses are fledgling. Lots of things happen, you know. One of our CEOs got diagnosed with a mental condition, and that oh, business no. just wasn't the same anymore. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, you know, you don't expect Amazon to be entering a business, and all of a sudden, Amazon announces it's going to be entering this business. It's just Typical stuff. Amazon. It's stuff <laughs> happens, right? That you can't yeah. control. So you want all your businesses to be successful, but very rarely mm. all your businesses mm. are su successful. So you really want the winner to be a big, big winner. And what do you look for when someone like walks th through the door and says, you know, I want however many million pounds? Yeah, so we have a simple, simple, simple formula. Uh, it's harder to do in practice, but the, the algorithm or the heuristic is really easy. We look for businesses that are in brand new markets. So our view of the world is if something could have been built, it would have been built. Hmm. So we look for why is this being built today and why couldn't it have been built yesterday or the hmm. year before. Um, sometimes these are easy. So in the cybersecurity business, there was a bunch of next generation technology that was coming on. And we hear a lot about AI, but this was one of the early AI type pioneering companies. And the computation that they needed to do, you just couldn't do five years ago or two years ago or one year ago. So mm. there were a lot of reasons for why you could build that software today that you couldn't build right. in a previous year. Something like delivery is a little bit less obvious. So it feels like you could have built a delivery service anytime, hmm. but in order to make a delivery service work, you have these drivers, you have to pay them an hourly wage. In order to make enough money on these things, you need to do multiple deliveries per hour. If you hmm. have to do multiple deliveries per hour, you really need to make sure your drivers are as efficient as possible and they're delivering as many deliveries per hour as possible. Hmm. If you try and imagine that doing that in a pre-smartphone world, it would be really hard to track your drivers and yep. make that efficient. To Very be fair, yeah. there was a time when we all used the London A to Z, right, to, to navigate. Yeah. You'd, be, you'd be spending minutes of your time navigating the streets, right? And so with GPS yeah. and Google Maps, it's a lot easier. And there are a lot of cold meals arriving at the door. Exactly. And put aside the consumer side, like put aside whether the customer is happy or not. There's the problem, the economic problem is you need to make sure the driver has as short a route as possible so you can get the back on to do another delivery because yeah, yeah, you've yeah, got yeah, to make yeah. enough money over the course of that hour off the one driver, right, to make them as efficient as possible. And then there's the problem of how do you make the customers happy as well. So all of that was enabled largely by the smartphone and there were reasons for why you couldn't do that prior. Um, uh, so there was a reason for why the timing, all these companies were born around the same time. And it wasn't just Deliveroo, Uber was born for ride sharing, and then Uber Eats for food. And yeah. there's one in the US called DoorDash. I mean, all of this was enabled by the same technology infrastructure. And so we look for brand new categories. Yeah. 
where the European company, UK European, I use them interchangeably, uh, even though they may not be interchangeable anymore, uh, where we look for evidence that the European company can win globally in the market. So it's not interesting for us for a company just to be UK centric. It, they have to kind of win in the world, right? So building, there was, a, there was an Irish or UK Irish company called Bebo that was the social network that competed with Facebook. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Bebo was sold for $800 million. So it was a pretty big sale. Yeah. Eventually got bought back by the founder for a dollar. Wow. AOL bought it and then sold it years later back to the person who, who they bought it from, uh, the original founder. Great out, I mean, he's very wealthy, very comfortable <laughs> in San Francisco, so great for him. But if you look at that, Facebook went public at $300 billion. Wow. So when you compare 300 billion against 800 million, yeah, there's a big, yeah. big difference. The, the, largely the, the wins in the technology, technology industry accumulate with the winner, not with the number two, not with the number mm. three, and certainly not with the number 10. So, and usually if you're going to win, you win globally. And it was a matter of time before Facebook expanded globally and won every single market. There used to be regional Facebooks in every single place. Right? There was a Russian Facebook and yeah. a Spanish Facebook. They were all different companies. But eventually when Facebook entered, Facebook won. And those things didn't sustain and they ended up getting acquired. So you can still make money that yeah. way. But you want to make the most amount of money for your investors, which means winning, picking globally. the one that's going to win globally. And then... And what does that mean? Is that, does that mean that A, they must have a vision to go global? Um, and be like the capability? Or? So yeah, they have to have the motivation to do it because mm. there, are, there are many entrepreneurs who are very happy you know, doing to not do they, that, yeah. yeah, to not do that. I mean, to do that mm. puts a lot of sacrifice on the person. It puts family sacrifice mm. or you know, partner sacrifice. Oh, right? If, you're, yeah, yeah, if you've yeah. got a family and you're in one place and you've got to commute because you're running 60 countries at the same time, it's just a different lifestyle. Mm. Um, so you've got to be motivated to do it and then you have to have the ability to do it. Not everyone does. Um, and so, uh, so we look for that, and then we want to make sure that if we have an investment in our fund, given that we lose so much of the time, we want it to be a multi-billion dollar type company. So again, the way to think about this is you have 20 investments. You can lose 19 of the 20 times. If on the 20th time you make 100 times your money, yeah, yeah. you're still ahead by 80, right? Because mm. the 100 more than makes up for the losses of the, of the 19, you're actually up by 81, right? So, mm. um, so we look for big wins. There are not that many of those hmm. in any in the world, and there's certainly less of those in Europe. So you know there are probably probably two or three of these a year in Europe. Well, that's it. Maybe one to three of these a year in Europe. Hey everyone, just a small interruption to let you know that if you're listening to this episode and thinking that investing in startups sounds like a really cool idea, then that's just one of the things that Ibrahim and I are going to be covering in our new course, Halal Investing for Busy Professionals. We're going to share the startups that we personally have invested in, what we look for when we look for a startup investment. And most excitingly, we're going to be sharing the off-market startup investments that we have with you. And these are the deals that get done off-market. They never go to the likes of Cedars or Crowdcube. And naturally, that's where the most exciting startup investments are. So if you're interested in the course, head over to islamicfinanceguru.com forward slash courses and click the link for Halal Investing for Busy Professionals. I'll also put the link in the description below. So feel free to copy and paste that. Back to the interview. And how many, how many startups are there that are raising thousands i mean there wow. are probably twenty thousand companies formed in the uk every year I and mean, not all of them are tech so right, maybe course, five thousand yeah. of them are tech i mean the, yeah. the numbers are very you know 
there are not that many of yeah, these yeah, billion yeah. dollar type companies that exist. Not say you don't know at the beginning if they're going to make it or not. Hmm. But you know, assume there's like a twenty to one ratio. So if there's one, yeah, they're probably a universe of twenty high potentials. If there's three, there's a universe of sixty. So say there are about a hundred companies at max in hmm. Europe, and we want to make sure all of those hundred if they have the potential are sitting in our fund and obviously we don't know what we don't know right so sometimes right. you invest and the wrong things just happen sometimes you invest and all the right things happen hmm. you just don't know right so and what do you think is you mentioned the the rise of ai and you mentioned you know the, the smartphone how that enabled growth in the the last five years this you must get asked like this a lot where where are we going in the next five years yeah we we, gen, we genuinely don't know right i mean if if to be quite honest if we knew we would just go build those companies ourselves yeah because there's no point in becoming a 10 percent, 20 percent, 25 percent owner of a business when you can be the 75 percent owner right. of a business uh, yeah. uh you, you'd get a lot wealthier right so if you really had high conviction that the future was x you should go build x right yeah. uh you know, if you can't figure out what the future is going to be, then you sit and do what I do and listen to it, to it all the time. And then when they walk in the door, you say, yeah. "Okay, I didn't think of that, but that's a very good idea. I'm going to write a check." Um, so VC VC funds are for people who want to sit on the on the bench on the side. We're just not smart enough to figure this stuff out. Maybe we did in a past life, but we're you know we we get we're just not good enough anymore to to compete at those levels. Hmm. And then we get very good at pattern recognition to know when to write the check. Hmm. So it's you know. Um, yeah, so that's that. So we don't know, but look, I mean, at a high level, how much of this stuff in the world is going to get automated? Yeah, a lot more than many of us probably think, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the obvious ones are like the retail counter, which are already automated in very poor ways by Sainsburys and Tesco's, right? And the interfaces are terrible when you try and do the self checkout. But you know, a lot of that kind of work is going to get automated. Mm -hmm. You know, farm picking. Probably, you know, it's a matter of time before computers can see where the crop is, you know, hold out a robot hand, cut the farm, right? You know, so today you have immigrant labor that largely yeah, does that yeah. in a lot of countries, uh, warmer climates than, you know. Well, maybe years. Brexit will stimulate all this. Yeah, I mean, you know, but I think a lot of that stuff is going to get automated, right? I think a bunch of stuff like computers are much better at vision detection mm. than even like very trained professionals are. So yeah. it's only a matter of time before radiology is automated, right? I yeah, mean, that's you know, true. Yeah. There are just classes of problems that computers are better at doing, right? And mm. we're still in the very early days of the tech industry touching other industries. Um, you know, today the tech industry is largely just a tech industry. But it's it's in, it's encroaching, right? And so yeah. automation is a big thing. Uh, I'm convinced the future of healthcare 20 years from now is going to be very different than the future of healthcare today. Right. We yeah. we know for a fact that if people have chronic diseases, if you can catch the chronic diseases earlier, mm. and if you can manage the chronic diseases much earlier in their life cycle, a the person gets a much better quality of life because they can take t you know, steps to mitigate what would become disasters. Right? If you're diabetic and you just you find out that you're diabetic early on and you manage your diet, yeah. the chances of you going blind, the chances of all the bad stuff that happens to you in diabetes just go down phenomenally. So you can you can manage all this stuff up front and a lot of this stuff is, it's data, right? So the, the future of healthcare is just gonna look very different. And I think a lot yeah. of this stuff is gonna be automated. And, and do you, do you, so I, I heard somewhere, I can't remember where now, uh, they said you know about DNA, gene sequencing and biotech, that whole area. AI, as you mentioned, and there's a few others like blockchain. Yeah. Um, do you see that reflecting in, I mean, another way maybe you guys have the, have the edge somewhat is just seeing the deal flow 
um, and what's coming in front of you. Yeah, because I mean, if like, a lot of this stuff, we don't know when the pieces will all fall into place. But look, today, it's going to sound really weird. You can, you can take your poop and send it to a lab and they will read out and they'll do this. They'll do the sequencing and they'll figure out what's inside your gut biome. We still don't know the science of what the gut biome does to the rest of the body, but there's enough evidence in the scientific community that some of the stuff that goes on in your gut has implications for other stuff that goes on in your body, right? There's, there are links between like brain deterioration and the gut. And today we can learn a lot more about what's going on in the gut than we could. Maybe we just didn't have this technology 20 right. years ago. So today you can do this stuff, right? This is only going to get, and we're in, like, boom. The thing that people don't realize about technology is it compounds, and compounding is exponential. So this stuff mm. gets exponentially better with passing years. So, you know, this will change the way we do, like, clinical care, right? Now, a lot of this stuff is going to get much more consumer-friendly, right? You can already spit into, like, a saliva bo a bottle, send it off, and get, like, you know, all this interest. I'm 3% Neanderthal. Yeah. I didn't know that until I did this study, right? It's, I find it fascinating. I'm 3% Neanderthal. <laughs> is that not everyone? Or is... No, no, no. Most people are, like, half a percent to 1% at really? max. Really? So I'm, like, very high percentage Neanderthal. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, like you learn all this insight. I found that I was lactose intolerant from doing one of oh, these yeah. studies. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, we don't do a lot of the life sciences oriented investing. We do yeah. tech and software. Yeah. But I just think these things are going to fuse on top of each other. And mm. we don't know what the world's going to look like. But I can, I can take a good wager that the world's going to look different on these kinds of fronts mm. uh, tomorrow than it does today. And then the question is, what's the pace? Will they produce billion dollar companies? I mean, that's the harder part to figure out. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like um, to a to an investor who you know just does their own investing, they're they're often very risk averse. But in the VC world, it's um, no, we're seeking out risk. Exactly. Right? I mean, and, another uh, like if you're if, forget about venture investing, we know at some point we don't know if it's going to be next year or five years or ten years or twenty years, but we know at some point we're going to automate the way vehicles are driven, right? And mm -hmm. when you automate vehicles. The, the city and the shape and the construction of cities yeah. is going to fundamentally change. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? When we had cars everywhere and America had more of this benefit than the UK did, right? the way our shopping centers worked fundamentally changed. Right? You wouldn't have like the Walmarts and the Aldas, Aldis of the, the, the superstore concepts without the fact that you had transportation, private transportation that would take you to, to these things yeah. you'd load up your trunk and bring it back home. Right? Right. Yeah. You wouldn't have an Iceland like a frozen goods store, right, unless you had freezers in, in the fridge, right, and, and the ability to carry frozen stuff back to your, back to yeah, your apartment yeah. or your house. So if you have autonomous vehicles, a lot of stuff, I mean, you wouldn't have shopping malls if it wasn't for cars. And in fact, a large part of the land for shopping malls is the parking lots, right, because right. people, so, so you're going to have big implications on how things kind of work out. Uh, so yeah, and so you know, so you see this in the in the non-traditional, non-venture type, in the traditional type stuff, you'll see big changes, and then in venture stuff, we're trying to find these like next generation big, you know, big companies that are you know just gleams in people's eyes in the early days. So yeah. and we're paid to take risk because it doesn't, like I said, we can lose 19 of the times, but if we hit something that returns 300 times our initial capital. It more than pays for the 19 yeah. misses. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. to be fair, we get penalized more from turning down something that turns out to be... I mean, imagine how dumb it would have been if Facebook or Google walked in the door and you said no. 
the cost of saying no is so much more expensive than the cost of saying yes to something that's that. bad. Yeah. yeah. Because they're, those are like once in a decade, once in a lifetime type companies, right? Yeah. They're not that many companies that become $500 billion type companies. Yeah. And so you'd rather lose all the time and get Facebook right. Yeah. You will make a lot more money for yourself and for your investors yeah. than you know, make some amount of money and then turn down Facebook yeah. or turn down yeah, Google, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I mean, it, it, here's the interesting thought. So for a personal investor, let's say they've got you know, city professional like myself, uh, they've got a pool of money that's that's collecting up, and uh, they're not obviously going to be rich enough to give it to the likes of you, but they want to do SEIS, EIS type investing. Um, should they? Uh, I mean. It, it, it sounds like if they keep on doing it, if they if they're careful about um, doing at least a basic screen of what they're looking at, then you know they should they should do that. Yeah. So w- with a few caveats, right? So one is like even if you're an endowment, so you're Harvard University, yeah. you'll only put a portion of your assets into venture. It's yeah. the high risk stuff. Of course. Of the, course. the old rule of thumb was about two percent, but most of these universities, Harvard and Yale, both changed recently, so they're doing more into it because there's so little, there's so few places in the world right now you can actually make money. There's there's a lot of low yield in the world, hmm. so people are increasing their percentages towards things that are much riskier, i.e., venture. So the percentages are going a little bit higher, but it's still yeah. it's still single digit percents. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't want to put all your wealth into venture because it, not, yeah. you're going to lose yeah. a lot of it, yeah. right? So you don't want to. Um, so so you're, you're not going to do that well. You know, it's not a very safe and cautious and prudent way of investing, right? It's for it's the stuff. It's the juice in your portfolio is the way to think about it. It's the yeah. extra stuff. Um, so. Uh, and, and then the thing is you need to build a portfolio yeah. because you're not going to build your, it's not like you're going to invest in the one SEIS company and get it right. I mean, hopefully Only that the happens. One Facebook. <laughs> yeah, but it, it usually doesn't work that yeah, way, of right? Course, um, of course. So you need to build a portfolio and the rule of thumb is you need about 20 to 40 and you can work backwards yeah. if you don't understand probabilities, right? If your probability is really low, you can do the compounded probabilities yeah, figure yeah, out how yeah. many portfolio companies you really need. And the earlier you go, the lower the probability. But in general, venture has a 50% loss rate no matter where you're investing, C yeah. series A, series B, you know, the stages of the company. So this, even if it's a later stage company, the risk is still pretty high, and it's about half. Half your money is going to not come back uh, in the same form. It might come back as a fraction of that. Um, so you need to build a decent-sized portfolio of yeah. these things. And then the third is the hardest. So the interesting stuff in our industry is it's largely an insider trading industry. Yeah. And I don't say yeah. insider trading in like a bad no, uh, way yeah. where you're, you know, you're doing something illegal. It's the people who are more likely to know that the next big thing is actually a real next big thing are people who are largely in the industry. Right. So if you're a cybersecurity professional and someone shows you the next greatest cybersecurity company, you're more likely to say, you're both binary. You might also be the most skeptical person yeah. and say, that's, you know, I don't get it uh, because I know a lot about the industry yeah. and everything there is bad. I got yeah. a strong view, but you're also more likely to know that's really interesting mm. and that's really compelling. And as a venture person, you rely on your network. Yeah. And so unless you have a network of people deeply embedded in the industry, it's actually really hard to figure out Agreed, to, yeah. if something is actually a real a real next. So when we did Babylon Health, yeah, our co-investors were the founders of DeepMind. You know, Babylon was saying, I'm going to go build this AI engine for medicine hmm. and build like a knowledge graph and take what the GP normally has in their head and put it into software. Hmm. And, you know, we're reasonably okay at AI, like we understand it. Yeah. But it's a huge signal for us when the founders of DeepMind, or to be fair, like some of the world experts at AI are saying, 
we understand you can build this, right? It's, mm. you know, AI has been around since the 80s. Yeah. So people would have said this at any point, right? And it went through a huge portion where it never really worked. Mm. Um, and it started to work again. And, you know, so you get, you get this you get this reference ability and you get this signal from people in the industry. So if you're a complete outsider, a city professional, it's hard, right, to figure out like is your network going to be on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, is your network as good as someone who's deeply yeah, embedded maybe, in maybe, the industry? Maybe maybe another approach for these guys could be that they focus in on their specific sector. Um, and yeah, but the problem with that specific sector is most of the interesting ideas don't happen in one specific sector, True. right? And so, True. you know, if you're doing, you know, when Google came around with search, like Google was like the 15th, 20th search company. I mean, mm. everyone thought that search was kind of done, right? You know, Facebook, most of the people in the world, yeah. even un, even at the IPO, thought Facebook was not a real business. Yeah. How is it ever really going to make money, right? Yeah. It's nice that people use it and they share their photos, right? You know, but how is it going to become an engine yeah. of, 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 of of a business, right? And to be quite honest, I don't think Facebook internally knew exactly how it was going to become a business, right? It just so happened that Facebook captured a disproportionate amount of people's time on the mobile phone, and the mobile phone industry took off, and the mobile app industry took off. And if you wanted to market, your best way of yeah. capturing yeah, someone's yeah, attention yeah. was to advertise on top of Facebook because you weren't sitting on top of Google doing searches, you were sitting on top of Facebook scrolling right, through the newsfeed. Right, right, and they right. made the newsfeed very addictive because it would monopolize your time. If they monopolized your time, it means that they could get they more advertisers. You, yeah. 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 Uh, and you know that caused a bunch of bad effects as well, <laughs> right? But, uh, but that's, and they didn't know any of that mm. even at the time of the IPO, right? Yeah. And this all happened kind of post-IPO. Um, it's hard, it's hard to know. Hossein, um, I mean, I think we could we could literally talk about this, this for hours, um, but there's a couple of questions I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. One was, um, you know, with your like Muslim background, how much of a role, um, if any, does religion and ethics play in your day-to-day stuff? I know I, you mentioned on a previous podcast about Wonga. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't do. I mean, I wouldn't do one guy. I mean, we we we've also designed our fund so we we can't do gambling, we can't do pornography, we can't do any sin business. Yeah. Because to be fair, if you're a university endowment or any kind of philanthropic endowment, you don't want to see your your folks who are managing your money do yeah, any of that true. stuff anyway. So that yeah. that's largely baked into not just our fund, but almost every single venture right. fund. Yeah. Um, so. You know, you wouldn't touch those kinds of businesses. Wonga sits kind of a little bit on the periphery hmm. because you know it's it's just interest. It's not it's not gambling. It's not sin. It's not pornography. I think it's bad. And I just think in general there are lots of ways to make money, and exploiting poor people is not a particularly great way of making. I mean, you can right. make a bunch of money, but why do but, it? Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to do something like that. And religiously, I wouldn't want to do it. But even just from a from a financial perspective, I just don't find it particularly interesting mm. to make money that way. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, the way you're raised, I think, has lots of implications on how you conduct yourself. Yeah. You know, I think you hear a lot in the venture business about people doing bad stuff because they're they're not upfront, um, and you know, it's hard. They'll do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. So the the challenge in venture is you're often a minority investor. Mm. So you have to get people to you have to if you're going to try and change something, you have to nudge people. You can't really tell people what to do because it's not your business. You're just an investor right. in business. You may yeah. sit on the board, and there's a lot of weird back channel stuff that happens. And some people can do that very gracefully, and some people can do that very sinister, like with a very yeah. sinister way, right? You know, yeah. so. I'd rather just sit down with the person and say, look, this is the way I feel. I don't think the business is performing as well as it could have. I think we need to make some changes. Let's you and I have a discussion around this. But there are other ways of doing the same problem, which is you go and 
you gossip with the other right. people and you know there's yeah, it's just yeah, a yeah. and so i think a lot of the ethics stuff is more mm. around that than the selection of the investments it's how you conduct yourself and whether you're a fair and reputable person right there are lots of ways you can take advantage of someone i mean if you have two kids in their 20s it's their first business right you're going to design the documents oftentimes people worry about the headline terms but yeah. not about the little terms yeah, yeah, yeah you can do all kinds of things at the little term yeah. levels to get extra stuff and, right. you know, and they probably very, won't be represented and... in a very famous case like this is the founder of snapchat snap he did a deal for the first half a million and the venture firm to be fair i don't think behaved that badly but they said we'll give you the first half a million but we want the right to do the next financing which is usually not a right that people usually get right and then the next financing came around and you know, at the point he was a young university grad. I don't even know if it was a graduate or a dropout, right? He was a young university person. Yeah. And when it dawned on him that this was not a right that normally people get, he then fought for it and ended up with a big falling out with the venture capitalist who wrote him the first half a million check, right? You know, you can do some of these kind of things that are probably more sneaky and you know yeah, get a, yeah, try and get yeah. away with it, or you can just try and behave really you know, well up front yeah. and say, look, these are the things I stand by. You know, I'll argue with it over why I want X and Y and Z, but I'm not going to do anything you know, mm. malicious or nonsense. Yeah, I suppose that's the difference between uh, VC and PE, in that in PE, generally speaking, pretty much all sides are well represented. Um, yeah, although you'd be amazed at how much of this sneaky stuff gets done in the MP. private equity world. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, what's what? Who's the retailer guy who lives in like Monaco who's extracted tons of money out of out of a failing company? It's not. Um, yeah, I suppose that's the other side. I, yeah, of the, I mean, that's you see the other all side kinds of, the point. of like yeah. bad behavior, yeah, right? Yeah, people yeah. people finance a company and then issue debt against it and dividend it out back to themselves. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can behave. You can be very above board and very legally compliant and behave in all kinds of ways that I would argue are somewhat unethical, right? Uh, venture doesn't lend itself towards doing a lot of those kinds of things because the businesses are investing in are there's nothing there. I mean, there's a good idea and some smart people. There's nothing to, there's nothing to take, right? People right. usually abuse. People get greedy when there's stuff to take right, there's yeah. not much to take in the venture community <laughs> in the early days because there's nothing there so yeah. um, it's more about how you behave with the person so it's mm. more of a chances are you're literally just giving them money to have a go yes. and probably fail <laughs> yes <laughs> that actually is what you're doing you should be very very grateful yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been a pleasure Hussein um, I think final question I want to ask is where do you see Hoxton and yourself in say five, ten years time driving around in a um, driverless office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we, weirdly enough, there are venture people who have, I mean, for driverless cars, uh, actually have people who ferry them around so they can do work in the car uh, at the same time because you're always on email, always on the phone of course, in this yeah. community. That's just the nature of the way you do stuff. Um, and so they're more productive that way. Um, yeah, we're a small firm. We're, we're two people. I, I think we're going to be three people sometime this year. And we may get to four, maybe even five, but we're never going to get very big. We don't have juniors, right? We're all principals. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's not the kind of business that lends itself very well to because these businesses are so young. You yeah. have to know whether you're going to invest or not. It's not like you're going to sign the workload yeah. to There's some no younger DD, person. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's some, but like you kind of, if you don't know, and like if you don't know the space, and you don't haven't done the work yourself, 
Yeah. Why are you writing a check into something that's such a fledgling business, mm -hmm. right? It's not It's not like you've got 10 years of financial history that someone just has to go through and make sure that they really Agreed, kind yeah. of check exactly, up. Yeah. Uh, it's not that kind of business. Uh, so it's mostly, mostly partners. Um, so we'll grow. Uh, we do early stage. So the nature of early stage is you can't do that many investments. Like I said, it's 20 to 40, otherwise it becomes unmanageable. You can write bigger checks, but if you write bigger checks, then you don't do early stage anymore because you're not going to write a $50 million check into a two-person company, right? Course, you're probably yeah. going to write a $2 yeah, million yeah, check. Yeah. Into, so you can't really scale the business if you want to do this business well. It, it scales a little bit, but it doesn't scale to become massive. Yeah. So you end up kind of doing the same thing. Now, we've tripled our fund size or hmm. doubled and a half our fund size uh, in the in the last knit from fund one to fund two, we'll probably grow it a little bit more nice. because having, whereabouts is it? I mean, I don't know if yeah, that's we're, yeah, our first fund was forty, our second fund's a hundred. Nice. So it's 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 a it's mm. substantially bigger. But to be fair, that's because forty was too small, and a hundred is probably about the right size. And yeah. We can probably grow to about one hundred fifty. Then that's that's about it. And yeah, it's not yeah. one of these businesses where you can you can't get ten times as yeah. much money and do ten times as much yeah. stuff. Um, would you would you as a VC invest in a VC fund? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I mean, I, so this is a big difference in American philosophy and kind of British or European philosophy. In, in American, the American philosophy is there's no way I can ever capture every single one of the interesting companies myself. And I know venture, if done well, can make a lot of money for investors because they'll if I don't capture the Google and someone else can capture the Google. I want my money in both pockets. Right. right. I'd ideally like to capture the Google myself. Yeah. But if if I know I'm not going to always get every single one of them, I want to capture as many of them as possible. Uh, so if I have to pay someone else fees to do that, if you come here in Europe or in Britain, there are a lot of families who have tons of money. Hmm. There's a lot of family wealth, a lot of generational wealth yeah. here as well. They want to do it themselves. And it always puzzles me. Is like if you can do it yourself, that's great. If you can capture a hundred percent of the market by yourself, you should do it. But you know, our returns are like amazing. They're like very yeah. high percentage returns. Yeah. I'd much rather do that and capture it myself because they're yeah. not mutually exclusive yeah. to me. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, if Sequoia yeah. allowed me to invest in the fund, Andreessen Horowitz allowed me to invest in the fund. You know, Index and Axel allowed me to invest in the fund. These are all really good venture firms. Yeah, yeah, I'd be foolish not to invest because. They're really good. They're really good fund vehicles, and the performance is really good. If I could do what they do myself, I'd love to do that too, right? right. Make more money. Even better. But, yeah, yeah, it's even better. But but they're not. They're not. They're not mutually exclusive. And do you think that VC usually you're not allowed to invest in the other funds because they don't want they don't want right. you to know what they're really doing? And if you become an investor in the fund, it's a oh, little I bit see, more yeah, transparent. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? I see. Yeah, I see. So, interesting. So there's interesting. a little bit. There's a lot of collaboration in our industry because we co-invest with each other, we invest into each other's companies, but there's also this big competitive tension as well. So <laughs> it's not normal that you normally get to invest in everyone else's funds. And do you think the VC world is growing? Or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think especially in a lot. I mean, the tech industry is in a boom. People have realized you can make a lot of money in the tech industry, and there are so a lot the more people world, doing yeah. it. And venture money, and and there's very little yield in the world. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of money in the world. Yeah. There's a lot more money than there is investment opportunity. And so mm -hmm. this is one of the few places where you can make money. Yeah. And so money flows in. It's very supply-demand-led. Yeah. Uh, that, that might change. We're also going through like a tech renaissance, right? Yeah. Where in the 90s, people really believed tech, like the dot-com bubble, people, tech would change a lot of yeah. stuff. But we were like 10 years too early, right? Mm -hmm. There are only 50 million people online. Now there are billions of people online. Yeah. Yeah. So you can scale at a very different level. And, and people are benefiting from that scale. So so there, there's money flowing in. Interesting. 
Well, you wouldn't same. have seen like the Saudis do tech investing. And know, here ten we are. Years ago, yeah, and today, I mean, they're big. They're big tech yeah, investors. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hussein, thank you very much for for your time. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. and um, I look forward to coming back in five years' time and uh, interviewing you once more. Seeing and, what we've done. I know exactly, and yeah. seeing where we are in that in that time. Yeah. Uh, but thank you very much. You're welcome.